Welcome to the You Heard It Here podcast from XL Vets. My name's Fiona Farmer, a qualified vet and your host for this series of podcasts. Today I'm bringing you a discussion with Emma Stewart from Yan Farm Health in Cumbria as she talks all about preparation for housing cattle. Emma is a well-experienced and travelled vet, passionate about nutrition and herd health. Her insights are sure to add value to any farm. So let's get into it. Emma, as summer draws to an end, it's time to start thinking about housing cattle. When should this be done and what things do we need to consider? I think the main thing to remember is that grass is your cheapest feed for cattle and it only costs about 25 pence a day. Um, If you compare that to about a pound a day when they're inside being fed on silage and cake or concentrates. So to that end, we should really be trying to extend their time of grass for as long as possible. So very, very weather dependent. But if you've got a good rotational grazing strategy, you can avoid pretty high levels of poaching. Um, But also you should be thinking about buffer feeding them um, with either silage, hay or haylage, just at the shoulders of the season to try and keep them outside as long as possible. But really to try and avoid any negative impact on your grass growth the following spring, um, you really need to be thinking about bringing them in from October onwards, um, but that can potentially be a lot earlier if the weather's bad or if the ground is wet or the grass is in short supply. But you need to give yourself plenty of time to think about housing because you might need to get your sheds ready, get them properly organised. So even if you've mucked them out in spring, it's not a bad idea to spray down some disinfectant, make sure all the bugs have been killed. Um, pretty good time as well to check, repair any damage to your cattle housing. So have a look around, look for some sharp edges, um, any holes in the roof, any broken gates, broken cubicles, broken drain pipes. Um, Check the floor, no uneven concrete. Um, Check your water troughs that they're not leaking. But one thing that's really important with young stock is your ventilation. So actually, once cattle are inside and they've settled down, it's probably not a bad idea to speak to your vet about evaluating your ventilation system. As um, we can use smoke bombs, um, we can see how well stale air is being removed from the building and just be able to evaluate um, how air moves in in the system a little bit better. Um, It's also really important to remember as well that if you're calving year round, you'll have quite a range of animal ages. And because housing constitutes quite a major stress, you need to be thinking about how you're going to group them to limit issues when they come inside. So ideally, you want to group them according to their size and making sure that the youngest ones aren't in the same airspace as the much older heifers and and adult cows if they're in the same shed as well. And again, you need to be carefully considering this by thinking about how is the air moving in the building? And again, it's worth speaking to a vet or a consultant if you think you need any guidance. And so housing presents an opportunity to take stock and analyse the herd. What should farmers be looking at here? Well, definitely I think growth rates are the best way of monitoring performance in young stock. Um, And sadly, I don't really think people are weighing calves as much as they should. Um, It's really important, ideally, to have a weigh crate. I know not everybody does, but ideally if you can have a weigh crate and just to periodically monitor their weights through the year. And actually, if you think about how often they're handled for various management tasks, it's not actually that difficult to take some weights at the same time. And it's really helpful for your vet as well if you can record and pass this data on. Because actually there's often a huge absence of information about that heifer performance between weaning and calving down, which could be 
20 months, it could be 18, 20 months, that period of time. And like I say, if you don't have a weight crate, there's lots of other things you can do. So you can you can measure their height. Uh, some people will will spray uh, uh, use a, a marker spray along the side of a crush or a race just to get an idea of the the heifer's height. Um, or you can use a belly band. You know they're cheap, they're easy to get hold of, and you, and you can you can get get their weight weight that way. Um, and really, if you're if you're routinely monitoring growth you should be pretty easily achieving growth rates of about 0.8 to 1 kilo a day over the summer. Obviously, that's going to depend a little bit on your breed, but certainly very achievable. Um, the other thing that's worth doing as well is I, I really think housing is a really good time to reflect on how your young stock have actually done over the summer and just give them a general MOT, a bit of a look over. So one thing that's really important, mobility, score them, treat any lame ones, Check their udders, any signs of mastitis, hard quarters, damaged teats, evidence of teat suckling. Because realistically, if heifers have issues now and they haven't yet been bulled, it's probably best not to keep them. So if the bull's been with them as well, don't forget to get them scanned as soon as possible after they come inside. But you, you probably really want to be waiting about five weeks just, just to get some accurate results there. Finally, I think as well, like just take a step back and actually look at the group. Just look at the overall group. And think about, have they actually done well this summer? Do they look pretty good? You know, have they got them really nice, clean, shiny coats? Um, are they filled out? You know, do they look well? And then think, could actually anything be improved next year? Um, often it's worth having a chat with your vet just to see what, what can be changed, because it's always important to move, try and move forward and progress uh, with your management. And I think one of the most important things to review is your, your parasite control strategies. So think about it. Did you have any issues with lungworm? If you did, is it worth considering vaccinating if you're not already doing that? It's a very effective vaccine. Um, have you had any issues with scours while they've been outside? Any issues with flies? Uh, any issues with gastrointestinal worms. These are all things that you can take a step back and, and review uh, just before they come in. That's really interesting. I guess that puts quite a nice spin on what can sometimes seem like quite a stressful situation for farmers, that they can look at housing as a real opportunity to take a look at the herd and see how well they've done and how well their animals have done and make a plan moving forward as well. It's a really nice way to look at it. And obviously you touched on worm control there. Worm control is a key element to successful husbandry. And I'm assuming that varies from farm to farm, demographic to demographic. What should farmers be considering when it comes to worming? Well, I think the most important thing to remember is that young cattle, particularly if they're in their first grazing season, are really susceptible to gastrointestinal worms and, and really high burdens. They can impact on growth, but actually they can also impact on their milk yields once they then enter the milking herd. Um, now, there's a couple of different species that, that, that affect cattle, but your, your most um, common ones are Cuperia and Ostratagia. When we're treating worms, there is a little bit of a trade-off between treating them to reduce the clinical signs or their impact on their performance and production, but also building immunity. Uh, because I mean, building immunity is key, but it does take time. And realistically, you're actually looking at about eight months of exposure time to build good worm immunity. So if you're treating your cattle with long-acting wormers and you have a relatively short grazing season, then there's actually a real possibility that your heifers won't actually have built sufficient immunity by the time they enter the milking herd. And if that's the case, that can not only impact performance, but then you might need to sit down and, and just have a rethink about your worm control strategies. Um, and then if you go 
uh, thinking about treatments, there's there's lots of different um, antelmintics or wormers on the market. But um, if you're using a clear wormer, such as ivermectin, I uh, usually recommend give it about three to four weeks after housing. So that has uh, a couple of benefits because you're killing lungworm, which they might have become infected with over the summer, but you're also killing um, most of the worms. and But also you're killing uh, what we call the inhibited larval stages. Now, these can potentially overwinter in the animals and then erupt later on in the, in the season in, over the winter and can cause issues. Um, so again, having a conversation about what treatment is going to be best for your farm um, is really important. And I would definitely recommend having a chat with your vet about that. The other thing to remember then is some wormers will kill mange and lice. Um, so if they're an issue, um, you may need to think about uh, incorporating them into your, your treatment protocol as well. So there's potentially a cohort of younger animals who haven't had the chance to build up their immunity. What do you recommend farmers do if they're concerned about their herd's immunity? Yeah, so again, it's worth sitting down and actually thinking, OK, well, how long have my cattle been exposed to worms? Have I managed to get them exposed for eight months to build sufficient immunity? But if you're not really sure whether they have had that chance, you can actually do what we call a heifer bulk milk sample. And then we check for exposure to ostratagia worms. Now, the most practical way of doing that is just to strip some milk from all of your heifers into a jug, just at milking time, give it a good mix around and then fill a sample pot and then submit that sample pot to your vet. So actually what you're sampling is only maybe 15 mil, but it should hopefully be representative of your heifers overall. And then that can give you an indication of whether they've had recent high exposure to ostratagia worms, and then you can treat them as needed. So really quite a simple way of getting some really useful information there. And of course, milk isn't the only thing that we can test. Can you tell us a little bit more about the methods we can use for testing for fluke? Yeah, so fluke's another parasite that, depending on where you are in the world, or in the country, I should say, uh, depending on where you are in the country, might be important. But you really need to have a conversation with your vet about whether your cattle have likely been exposed to fluke, because not all farms will will have that risk. Um, Fecal egg counts can be really useful for diagnosing fluke, um, but you have to remember it takes about 12 weeks for fluke to start producing eggs in the dung. So if animals have been exposed more recently than this, then you might end up with a negative result, but it doesn't mean that they don't have fluke. So we do recommend that potentially a better option could be to blood sample your cattle to check for fluke antibodies from about two weeks after housing. So if they're positive at that stage, then realistically you need to treat the group. now, one of the only issues at Fluke is there's loads and loads of products on the market, but they don't kill all stages of Fluke. So some of them, like triclobendazole or the trade name, the common trade name will be Fastnex. That will kill very, very immature Fluke, but there can be issues with resistance on some farms. And um, so again, need to have a conversation about that. Then there's other products that only kill adult Fluke, and therefore you can only really use those successfully at least 12 weeks after housing. And then that also applies to a lot of the combination products such as clozamectin and levifus diamond um, because they, they, a lot of them only will kill adult fluke as well. So you need to think about what one's going to, what product is going to be best for your system. Um, and then finally, one thing that's really important to remember as well, most of these products aren't really licensed for use in milking animals. So you have to be careful about using them in heifers that are due to calve within the next few months just to adhere to those withdrawals. Lots to think about there and really reinforces why it's so important for farmers and vets to have such a close relationship so they can help each other through these times when there's so much to think about. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we've talked a lot about cows we have in our herd. How about any brought in animals? What parasite consideration should be given to them? Yeah, so if you buy animals, or actually even if you have heifers that have gone away to be reared and then have come back, those animals are always at risk of bringing in infectious diseases such as BVD or IBR, but they're also at risk of bringing in resistant worms and fluke. So it's actually pretty important to quarantine and treat them before they return to the herd just to reduce the risk of bringing in any issues. So in terms of fluke and worm treatments, ideally you should be testing the efficacy of them by monitoring faecal egg counts. So for example, if you're um, treating for fluke or for worms, you take a faecal sample before treatment and then again two weeks later, just to make sure that the treatment has worked. And there is a bit of a caveat to that. If you're using something like a yellow wormer, uh, so levamazole, so some of the products might be Levifast Diamond, for example, um, you should ideally check uh, a week after treatment, not, not two weeks. So that's kind of your worm and fluke treatments. But if you've cattle that come from an area with a high prevalence of fluke, ideally you want to be quarantining them inside or on pasture that doesn't have any snails on it until such time has elapsed that that fluke can then be killed by the product that you want to use. So that could be up to 12 weeks. If you're going to treat them straight away when they arrive because you want to clear out whatever's in there, then you've got to remember that actually they may require a second treatment. So it's just something to bear in mind. Quite a few considerations there. And I guess we then want to think about planning that before animals are brought in rather than having to play catch up once they are. So a good herd health programme in place is really paramount. But of course, parasites aren't the only thing for us to be considering. What concerns should we have regarding infectious disease? Yeah, so realistically, your two most common infectious diseases that are going to be of importance in your young stock are things like BVD. So BVD, uh, I'm sure most farmers are aware, it's probably one of the most economically important disease in the UK. Um, there's a massive drive on at the moment to try and eradicate it. Um, and those animals at greater, greatest risks are going to be your unvaccinated cattle that are in contact with neighbouring animals. Um, and that, that obviously includes young stock as well. So I think housing is a really good time to do a BVD check test just to see if your animals have been exposed in the recent past. Um, now, I would usually recommend blood sampling a batch of homebred, unvaccinated animals between 9 and 18 months of age just to see if BVD has been circulating on farm. So if you get your results back, most of them are tested positive for BVD antibodies, then you need to think about reviewing your biosecurity and your vaccination protocols, even if you already have them in place. And I, I have to stress that this check test is really important, even if you're vaccinating and tag testing, because it tells you what has been going on in the recent past, okay? And... Um, Housing as well then is a, a massive risk factor for pneumonia, especially in young stock. And um, if you're using vaccination protocols to deal with it, that can vary massively from farm to farm. So again, you need to be speaking to your vet to find out what's going to work for you. Because any vaccine protocol is pretty redundant if you can't adhere to it for whatever reason, be that staffing issues or timings or, or, or whatever reason that is. Um, the other thing to remember, actually, is if you've had pneumonia problems in the recent past, you can actually carry out blood sampling uh, to try and identify which of the most common pathogens were to blame. And that can then help your vet formulate a suitable vaccination programme. When you're thinking about this around the time of housing, it's also important to remember that um, some vaccines need a booster dose four to six weeks later. 
and your animals should be fully vaccinated before they're housed. So you need to give yourself plenty of time to get organised just so that they're fully protected by the time they actually come inside. That really highlights how one farm is so different to another farm and how every single herd health plan should be tailored to that farm in question. And again, it highlights what a fantastic opportunity housing is for farmers to take that moment to stop and look and reassess and plan going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Often overlooked are the role of trace minerals and with their optimum status helping animals through stressful times, how do we know if we need to supplement a herd or not? Yeah, so again, similar with, you know, different vaccination protocols, every farm is likely to have different requirements for trace elements because your supply depends on soil type, it depends on the type of forage you grow, depends on the quality of that forage, depends on the weather, it depends on a whole host of other factors. And realistically, the most important trace elements for growing young stock um, and to maximise your fertility and your bullying heifers are going to be cobalt, copper, selenium and iodine. Now, some people get a mineral analysis done on their forages, so their silage or their hay or whatever. But actually, the only way to really know whether your stock are deficient or not is to use lab tests. So blood sampling, that will allow you to test for those most important minerals I've just mentioned. But Liver biopsies are actually probably better for uh, diagnosing issues with copper, but it is a lot more invasive. So some people may not be willing to do it, but it is actually really useful. Um, You also have to remember, particularly with copper, is that toxicities are just as common as deficiencies. So you really should know your copper status before you think about supplementing it. So then if you do carry out some of these tests and your animals are deficient, There's a whole host of ways of administering minerals. So some of these will include drenches, licks, in-feed supplements, uh, injections, boluses. But it's probably worth pointing out that that boluses are the best really for long-term supplementation. So it's worth considering those first line. And going down that route of boluses and oral supplementation brings us on to nutrition, which is a topic we could probably spend an entire day talking about. So I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. Can you try to give us just a few key points to take home of what we need to think about when it comes to feeding the herd? Yeah, so nutrition is a huge topic. um, But actually, in terms of growing young stock, particularly growing heifers, There's a bit of a knowledge gap in what is the best way to feed those heifers in that massive period of post-weaning to calving, which, as I said, can be 18 to 22 months, really, that period. And I think that's probably why a lot of nutritionists and vets do steer away from it a little bit. But you have to remember that these heifers are the future of your herd and how you feed them really will impact on their performance once they start milking. So it's in your best interest to feed them properly. And again, it's a huge topic, but I think when I see issues, I think probably the biggest pitfall is overfeeding energy. Uh, So it means they lay down a lot of fat and that can then cause issues. Um, But when you're thinking about trying to reach this industry target at 24 months, you really need to have the right balance of protein and energy. So protein is required to grow frame and a slightly lower energy density diet is required to uh, avoid laying down excessive fat. So for that reason, I'm a huge advocate of uh, analysing any silage, hay or haylage that you're going to be feeding to your heifers. Because a lot of the time we analyse forages for milking cows, but we don't think about doing that poor cut a poor third cut or uh, silage or haylage or whatever that you're going to be feeding your young stock. 
And then the other thing that's really important is trying to have a conversation with consultant, vet, nutritionist who actually has an interest in young stock nutrition um, and is willing to help you to optimize their growth rates so that they can easily achieve this age at first cabin at 24 months. And for me, I really don't like young stock or bullying heifers being fed dairy cow leftovers. Um, because if you think about it, it's usually been refused for a reason. So it could be mouldy. The mix is usually pretty inconsistent because cows might have been sorting it. The nutritional value is highly variable as well. So you don't really know what those heifers are getting. So having a tailor-made diet to those young stock really is going to maximise their performance. And again, depending on your age of the stock, how they've performed recently, you might need to supplement with either compound or straights uh, as a concentrate feed. But really how much you need to give them is going to depend on the quality of the forage that you have already. Because if you want to keep heifer rearing costs down, you really need to focus on maximising that growth from homegrown forage and keeping your purchase feed to a minimum. So something that really does need a little bit of thinking about that is really worth investing in is good nutrition for the heifers. It's a short-term investment for a long-term win there by making sure that they are off to the best start possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something that's massively overlooked sometimes, I think. You forget that these are actually the future of your herd and these are what are going to make you money in a year or two. That's such a good way to think about it. Such an important thing to think about as well. As you say, they are the future of the herd and that's really worth highlighting. Have you got anything more to say about that? As that may get overlooked. A lot of the industry focuses on that pre-weaning period when calves are on milk because it is really important uh, and it does impact on their performance further down the line over the next few months but actually once they come off milk we do we probably probably don't focus on them uh, as much and and we kind of let them get on with it but it's an area that I think is really interesting it's an area that needs a huge amount of work and a huge amount of research but I think it is really exciting um to 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 try and focus on these areas and really maximise their performance. Because I think another point that's maybe a little bit interesting as well is a lot of people now are using sex semen in their heifers. So, so the, the, the semen that's going into the heifers is going to then become um, the, the replacements in a couple of years' time. So actually, when you think about things like what we call fetal programming, which is how your mother is fed then has an, uh, an impact on, on you as an individual, we really should be placing a lot more emphasis on feeding those heifers properly because the, how they're fed actually is then going to have an impact on the, the fetus that is in them when they're pregnant. So it's there's loads of research that needs to be done. Uh, it's a really interesting area of work. And um, yeah, so I think over the next few years, we probably will be working a lot more on, on how we should be feeding these calves uh, from post-weaning right up to calving to really push genetic progress and, and push performance to to make sure that we're calving down with the best heifers that we can. That's fascinating. And people are going to be really interested to hear about that because honestly, in farming, you're always after those gains. How can I improve my productivity in any way that I can? And so that's a whole area that we've not really thought about before. And that presents itself as a fantastic opportunity for farmers so taking a little bit more care now, making a few adjustments, looks after the health of the herd years down the line. I mean, that's really quite amazing, isn't it? It's it's interesting. But like I say, even taking stock, 
uh, at the just before you house them. I, I don't think enough people do that to actually stop and pause and say, well, I haven't seen my heifers for the last five months because they've been at grass. How have they done? You know, you know, how have they actually done when we've we've not really been doing very much with them? Because obviously when they're inside, you see them every day because you're feeding them and and you're able to to monitor their performance a lot closer. But actually when they've been at grass all summer, sometimes you get them in and you're like, oh wow, they haven't done as well as I wanted to. Why is that? And mm. and reflect and take stock so that you're going to be ready for next year and try and avoid those dips. In an ideal world, would farmers be breeding all of their own replacements and these heifers would be such brilliant animals that would then go on to repopulate the herd? Or do you think there's still an argument for there being room for brought-in animals? Do you think that helps to diversify the herd? I think it depends on the system and what what that farmer is trying to achieve. So I always think if someone is trying to push progress and push performance, push animal health, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, improve mobility, improve uh, cell counts, and just improve general immunity and resilience, they do need to be breeding their own replacements because obviously when you're breeding your own replacements, you've got the best genetics available to you. Whereas when you're buying them in, you don't really have control over what animals you're buying. You might know that they're from a good herd, but you actually don't always know what you're getting. So again, it depends on the system. Uh, I know the flying herds work really well for some people. but I think, like I say, if you're trying to really improve long-term genetic improvements and animal health, um, it is better to to breed your own. So it's really important to look after the young stock. And that's why it's such a fantastic opportunity at housing to have a look at the herd and evaluate what's going on and just make sure that everything's on track. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Emma, this has been great. Thank you so much for speaking to us. It's so obvious to hear the passion and expertise that you have. And I know your clients are obviously very lucky to have you as their vet. I could listen to you talk about this all day long. So thank you so much for your time. It's been really valuable. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and keep an ear out for the next in our series of You Heard It Here. Uh, uh.